0: I've got to say we do feel at home it's home from home here for us we love coming we're gonna be here on the 18th for your Christmas event it is the 18th I hope because we're here anyway Um, so uh, yeah just thank you so much to the eldership and and to all of you for the invitation and for coming out on a cold dark night hope it'll be worth your while Um, so just a little bit of introduction really Um, Jill and I will have been married 43 years next March I worked it out today because I didn't want to get that wrong, (laughs) 43 years next March, um, and we've known each other. We were in junior school together from the age of eight, it's not really an hour actually because she didn't like boys and she didn't like me in particular. Um, One of the reasons she says she didn't like me is because she says I was teacher's pet, um, which I was. Uh, Not because I was clever, because I wasn't, but my father was a conservative and so was my teacher. (laughs) And there weren't many of those in Merthyr (laughs) Tydville. So um, I did have uh, preferential treatment from Mr. Davis. Uh, And then Jill and I, at the age of 11, went to different grammar schools. And then we met again when I was 18 and Jill was 17. Uh, And then we got married when I was 21 and you were 20. Uh, and uh, just threw ourselves into, into life. Um, a year later, almost to the day, Richard was born. That was my first anniversary present to my lovely wife. You're welcome. Uh, and um, I remember we were, like, no Christian connections, really. Um, and I remember being there at Richard's birth, I'm thinking, there must be a God. Um, this was the first time, really, men were being allowed into the actual delivery room, because before that we were considered unclean. There would usually be two rooms between the men and the woman giving birth. But now we were allowed in, and I, and I was there, and I thought, oh my word, I did not do that. <laughs> I thought I know I had a part of playing it, but I was rubbish at woodwork in school. And I could not have produced this. This is amazing. There must be a God. Well, Jill had a retained placenta, so they sent me out, and they were caring for Jill. And I sat in the waiting room, and for the first time in my life, I prayed really sincerely to God, who I didn't know. It was a Saturday night. I said, God, if Jill and the baby are okay, I'll come to church tomorrow to thank you. It's good of (laughs) me, huh? And sure enough... And Jill and the baby were fine. The following morning, uh, Sunday morning, I'm feeling really guilty because I'm thinking, where do I go? I've only ever been to funerals and weddings. I have no idea where to go. But many of you will know Dave and Carol Roberts. So Carol's my sister. So she'd come to Jesus about a year before, but I didn't even think about, about asking Carol uh, but anyway, on the Sunday afternoon, I'm still feeling guilty. The phone rings, and it's Carol car, saying, look, I'm going to a baptism service tonight, and I need a lift. Would you, would you give me a lift there? And I'm thinking, well, yeah, I will. And I'm thinking to myself, this is my opportunity. So we pull up outside. She says, thanks for the lift. She said, you fancy coming in? And I said, yeah, I do. So she nearly fell out of the car at that point. <laughs> And then I just went in, and it was, there were hundreds of people in there, and I looked at them, and I thought, these people seem to know who they're worshiping. Um, I was deeply impacted by it, but my promise was kept, got on with life as normal, uh, and it must have been about a, a year later, I guess, 18 months later, something like that, um, I was under immense pressure at work, and Jill said to me, I, Ian, I think we need God in our lives. And I said, "Love things aren't that bad." <laughs> it's awful, it's awful. But Dave and Carol then, Dave Roberts came to Christ as well. Now with Carol, we thought, she'll get over this. She's done the Beatles. Now she's doing Jesus. It'll pass. I mean, she was radically in love with Jesus. Dave was angry with her because she was in love with another man. (laughs) Now, the fact he lived 2,000 years ago was not relevant. There was competition. So anyway, he went to a meeting, got radically converted, um, and then we're looking at both of them and thinking, they've got something we haven't got. And then they said, would you come to church with us? And eventually we decided to go And then I saw written above the pulpit, Jesus Christ is Lord. And I thought, oh, I never knew that. I never knew that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh and that he came. And Jill is listening to the preacher and the preacher said, the Spirit of God will not always drive with man. And they were lovely people. And we went there and they were like, oh, it's lovely to see you. They've given us hugs. We weren't used to hugs, except in the scrum. (laughs) And, you know, smiling and are you coming back next week? And we're saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking, no way. <laughs> Following night, the pastor came to see us, sat in the living room with us, and um, he was an unusual man, because he was, he was Irish, but he wasn't very talkative. <laughs> he wasn't a chatty Irishman. He's the only one I've ever met. And he just sat there. So we just talked to fill the gaps. And told us our life story and all our troubles. And then he said, would you like to receive Jesus into your life? We said, yeah, we would. <laughs> so he led us to Christ that night. Now, right, the interesting thing is, right? I hear people say, I've never led anybody to Jesus. Right? Now, that is never true. Richard says, when he was born and I had an encounter with God, Richard reckons he led us to Christ. <laughs> I mean, there's some merit to that. Not much, but there's some merit to that. (laughs) The question I would ask you, who led us to Christ? Was it Richard and Dave and Carol or the man that led us in the prayer of salvation? Who actually led us to Christ? So you imagine how somebody, you meet somebody and they are homeless, they are desperate for shelter, for love, for care, for protection, whatever it may be, and you walk 50 miles with them because you know there's a safe house that you're going to take them to, and you arrive at the safe house, and standing outside is Ian Jones. And Ian Jones says, it's great to see you. Let me just open the door and let you in. And they walk into the safe house. Who actually led them to Christ? Was it me who took them on the final step or was it the person that walked 50 miles with them and brought them to the safe house and I opened the door to let him in? Now, evangelists tend to have a gift of just taking people on the last step of the journey. But the reality is they haven't led that person to Christ. They've just facilitated the last step, if you like. And what I want to do tonight is I want to take the fear out of this word evangelism for you. Uh, because um, there's all kinds of connotations that come with the word, and what it can do, actually, is make people freeze at the thought of this word evangelism, because they think it's got to be overt, it's got to be in your face, and if it's not on the streets, and if it's not door-to-door, whatever, then it's not legitimate. I would say that the vast majority of you here tonight have come through a friend or a relative. So, I'm gonna try this and we'll see how we get on. That's why I put loving people into relationship with Jesus. Okay? So in Matthew 9:36, says of Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. shepherd. It doesn't say like sheep without an evangelist, it says sheep without a shepherd. So the greatest evangelist that ever lived looks on the people and sees them harassed, troubled, helpless, and he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. And I believe that every ministry, whether it's apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, every ministry must have a shepherd heart. Because at the basis of everything must be to bring the love of Jesus into play when we are dealing with people. Now, one of the greatest Scriptures and revelations for me was this Scripture here. When the Advocate comes, Jesus said, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Fairly early on, I came to realize that I rely totally on the Holy Spirit to open people's hearts to Jesus. It is not my job to open people's hearts. An advocate is someone who speaks on behalf of another. So the Holy Spirit is the advocate for Jesus in people's lives. When I try to do the job of the Holy Spirit, I get into really serious trouble. But that does not get me off the hook because Jesus said, you must testify too. The great thing about the Holy Spirit is He wants to work in partnership. And you see it throughout Scripture. God could send angels to do the job, but He sends humanity, flesh and blood, to do the job because we work in partnership with the Holy Spirit, so we testify and the Holy Spirit testifies. So, after going to Bible college for three years in 1980 to 83, Jill and I went back to Murth to help Dave and Carl pioneer the work with Bryn and Carey down in Merthor-Tidville. I hadn't been back very long and I felt God really impress upon me to start doing door-to-door on the estate that I grew up on. So. I just shared that with some of the guys and my good mate, Steve Doricott, who some of you will know. Steve and I had played rugby together. Steve was in the church with us. So I said, Steve, I'm gonna do some door-to-door. Steve and Steve said, I'll come with you again. So we, on a, on a, it was a morning during the week. Off we go, knocking the doors. And I'm, I'm, I've done it once or twice, so I'm teaching Steve how to do it. So talk about the blind leading the blind. So I'm knocking doors. And in my passion and desire, my motives were pure, but in my passion and desire, I was desperate for people to know Jesus. So I was knocking the doors. And if they weren't listening to me, I was telling them, but you need to hear this. I was more like a double glazing salesman. And I was under pressure. And I was trying to do the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, And um, at the end of that day, I went home and I just thought, Lord, I can't do this anymore. And I'm sure I heard a sigh of relief from heaven, to be honest. (laughs) And then I'm reading the scriptures that week and I come across this all those the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never drive away I just thought all I've got to do is go out and find the ones that the father's given to the son right now if you like the ready cooked chickens do you know what I mean it's like (laughs) the ones that are ready cooked ready to respond so I said Steve we're going to start at the top of that street today now and I will work our way down. And I was totally relaxed. So I knocked the first door. A woman gives her life to Christ. First door. I thought, that's too easy. So then we're we, we going down the street then and people say, no, not interested. I say said, no, that's absolutely fine, no problem. Can we just leave this tract with you so if you can help, we can help you in any way in the future you can know where to contact us, etc.? And uh, it was just like the pressure's off. So I said to Steve, right, Steve, I said, this door's yours. First one, he's done. I said, now, Steve, remember now, right, no Christian jargon now, right? Just be as normal as possible. So he knocks the door, and in those days, they were still delivering milk in bottles, right? So he knocks the door. A woman's come into the door. He picks up the pint of milk. When she opens the door, he says to her, though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be as white as this milk. And I'm thinking, oh, my word, Steve, what are you doing? She said, come in. (laughs) Honestly, you can ask Steve. I mean, it's like I'm there now. This this is really burned into my psyche. She said, come in. So we, we go in, she says, sit down. She sat down. She said, we've been having the Jehovah's Witnesses. Me and my husband been having the Jehovah's Witnesses here for the last three weeks. We're not satisfied with what they're saying. Would you come back tonight and talk to me and my husband? Yeah, of course we were. We went back that night, led them both to Christ. They were wide open. John and Keith led them both to Christ. They went to another church. They went to the Elim church in the town because they had friends there. And the, she was a part of the worship team and everything. Praise God, it doesn't matter where they go. If His kingdom... Yeah. Right, then his son became a drummer in the band and all that stuff. So anyway, then, because we were going back, taking them CDs and different things, CDs and all these, they were cassette tapes. Um, and then went back, you know the first lady that had knocked the door off, went back to pick her up for church the following Sunday, knocking the door, no answer, go back in the week knocking the door, no answer, thinking she's hiding in there. <laughs> and that's the thing as well, right? If you, if you are sharing your faith with people, you've got to be ready for disappointment. Because yeah. sometimes people will pray a prayer to make you feel better, or they mean it at the time, and then the following day, they will change your mind. So don't be shaped by disappointment. Always be shaped by love. Right? And, and like to me now, if I saw that lady, and it would be wonderful to see her and all that, but I can't control her. Right. So basically then... Um, I realized that day, I mean, don't use jargon. If the Holy Spirit's at work, you can say bananas are half priced, and they'll say, What have I got to do to be saved? <laughs> Honestly, when the Holy Spirit is at work. So then um, I worked then as a driving instructor. Stefan knows. It's an anointed ministry. (laughs) But worked as a driving instructor with Dave Roberts. And, you know, you're in the car now, so basically what you've got now is, right, you've got presence ministry. I could call it presence evangelism, right, but I want to take that word out of it for now, right? Presence ministry. So we now with people... Sometimes for six months, sometimes for two years, (laughs) sometimes longer. But they get to know you and you get to know them. So then they start telling you what they did on the weekend and then they ask you what you did on the weekend. And then you start telling them what a great time you had in church and how people got healed and people got touched, etc., etc. And you just start sharing with them. Now that's either going to open up a conversation because they're interested or it's going to close it down. And I was always aware, they're not paying me to preach at them, they pay me to teach them to drive. And sometimes I would get the Bible and the highway code mixed up. <laughs> so I'd, sometimes I'd say, now when somebody's approaching a zebra crossing, the Bible says you've got to be ready to give way to them, and I'd say, did I just say the Bible says that? <laughs> They'd say, yeah. No, no, the highway code says that. The Bible hasn't got a view on zebra crossings. <laughs> Or I'd be preparing my message, you know, about eternal life. Seriously, this would be happening. Preparing my message about eternal life, and I'd want to say, take the next left, and I'd say, take the next life. <laughs> this used to happen. <laughs> but generally speaking, it was just teaching people to drive, faithfully doing my job, and trying to do it the best I could. And God said to me, He'd be the best driving instructor in Mirtha, that's your mission field. So Dave and I used to share with people and then on one occasion there was a young lady called Rhiannon and um, she said to her friends, she said, "Um, I'm interested in going to church. Um, She said, do you have any good churches in town? They said, no, we don't. But we know a couple of driving instructors. (laughs) If you book lessons with them, they'll tell you about Jesus. (laughs) So she booked a lesson with me. So I'm on week three, lesson three. She turned to me. She said, Ian, yeah, I'm really disappointed with you. <laughs> I say, why? She said, you haven't told me about Jesus yet. <laughs> so I'm thinking to myself, I've been trying to stay alive for three weeks. So Never mind telling you about Jesus. Well. <laughs> so, we, so, so we pull over. I share Christ with her. Lead her to the Lord. Right? Then... A month later, her boyfriend Lee comes to Christ. And this is 25 years ago. They're serving God down there in Merthyr now, right? And they've got five got four kids now and they're serving God down there. Different church, I think, in Merthyr. But again, that's not the point. But the thing is, right, if you will just be who you are wherever you are, if you will tell people about Jesus and how wonderful he is, because people used to say to me, God, oh, it's so peaceful in this car. And I used to say to them, well, you know what? Well, there was a time I suffered with anxiety. There was a time I suffered panic attacks. But I met Jesus. And one of the terms that he's known of is Prince of Peace. And I said, he's filled me with so much peace and love in my life. He's amazing. And they just go, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, thank you. <laughs> but I tell you what, well, they knew where to come yeah, that's right. yeah. when the Holy Spirit began to work on them, yeah. Right? So earlier this year, some of you may know Dr. Dan Kay, wonderful man. Um, He was a a doctor in Blaby for many, many years, and I had the honor of officiating at his funeral. Um, And um, people were getting up, and they were giving their tributes to Dan, his family and his friends, and they were saying amazing things about Dan, because, you you know, some funerals are easy, aren't they? Because it's just easy to say stuff about some people. As I'm sitting there, I'm listening to all this, and I've I've prepared my tribute to Dan. And as I'm sitting there, listening to all these, I look down, and on the order of service for for the funeral, it says, address Ian Jones. As I look at it, the word address jumped out to me, and the Lord said to me, tell them that Dan was my address. I need an address on earth, And Dan was my address. So he said, don't tell him everything that you prepared. That's already been said. He said, just get up and tell him that Dan is my address. Well, the interesting thing is people had got up and they'd honored Dan and they'd said, but he was never a pastor. Um, His brother Jim was a pastor, but Jim wasn't. He went down the line of medicine. And I thought, that's not true. If you take the word pastor out and and insert the word shepherd in place of it, because the word pastor, as far as I'm aware, appears once in the New Testament, in Ephesians 4. There's only one named evangelist in the Bible, Philip. And yet, the gospel has spread all across the world because of people like Dan Kay, who actually was a shepherd. Yes. But he was a shepherd to the community. Rather than called as a shepherd to the body, he was a shepherd to the community. And he healed the sick through medicine. And also, for those that were willing, he'd pray for them as well. The people in the church with us were his patients, and he used to pray for them as well. So Dan was a faithful pastor, or if you like, a shepherd, where he was. Now, you were called to be a shepherd in your sphere and to love people and to shepherd people in order to make them, or rather to make Christ attractive to them and also for them to know your address, or rather to know Jesus' address in you. I love it, dear. This is white wine in you. We only get water in all nations. Okay. This is what first Peter says. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that's within you. But do this with gentleness and respect. I love that. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that's in you. And, And do it with gentleness and respect. It's always good, you know, to maybe practice a little bit on how you can give an explanation of the hope that is in you so you're ready when somebody asks yeah, right. it might just flow easily you might, it might you know but sometimes it's nice actually to think about it so you can actually begin to consider that for yourself isaiah 8:18 8, says this this is isaiah speaking of course here i am and the children the lord has given me we are signs and symbols in israel from the lord almighty who dwells on Mount Zion? I love this scripture. Because the Bible calls on us to go and perform signs and wonders. It's great to pray for the sick, and it's great, you know, to minister healing in, in its various forms and pray for provision or whatever and see signs and wonders. But you know, ultimately we are a sign and a wonder. You, Richard was a sign and a wonder. Catherine was a sign and a wonder. Sarah was a sign and a wonder. I just think, I look at any baby, they're a sign and a wonder. Just think, that, that, that's amazing. Dave and Carol were a sign and a wonder. How has that happened to them? That's right. So we are called to be signs and wonders. So be a sign and a wonder where you are and minister for Jesus where you are. Just be who you are, wherever you are. Just turn with me for a moment, if you would, to um, Matthew chapter 9. This is my favorite passage of Scripture in many ways when talking on this particular topic. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest. Get ready. When the Lord tells you to start praying, put your boots on, because it's probably who he's going to send. Then Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And then we get the whole list then of the disciples there. And then in verse 5, he says, It says, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Okay? So, obviously, Jesus enlarged that mandate later to all the world. But at this point, he's saying, just stay now in the area of the Jews. Don't go to the Gentiles at this point. But he says, go to the lost sheep of Israel. Let's drop down out to verse 16. He says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Okay? So basically, let me just identify wolves for you, first of all, okay? Wolves are not scary people. Wolves are people who draw people after themselves. So in Acts 20, when Paul is with the Ephesian elders, he says this in Acts 20, 28, he says, "'Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock "'of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. "'Be shepherds of the church of God, "'which he bought with his own blood. "'I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you "'and will not spare the flock. "'Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth "'in order to draw away disciples after themselves.'" The definition of a wolf is somebody who wants to draw people to themselves, not to Jesus. Okay? That's the definition of a wolf. So, like I said earlier, the Spirit testifies, as an advocate testifies to to Christ. That's why we've got a huge head start on every other faith, every other cult. Nobody else has got the Holy Spirit working with them to point people to Jesus. I mean, we are so blessed because we're partnering with the Holy Spirit, and we're among wolves who are declaring other prophets, other teachers, whatever it may be, and if they're not pointing people to Jesus, even if they use the Jesus sort of mandate, as it were, if they point them to themselves, you say, and they're wolves. They're pointing people to Christ. Now, basically, during the time of Jesus, and still today, the Middle Eastern shepherd does not lead the sheep, as you know, the way that we do, with fear. We use sheepdogs to frighten the living daylights out of them to get them to go where we want them to go. The eastern shepherd has never done that and still don't do that today. The eastern shepherd leads from the front, knows everyone by name. You know the scriptures as well as I do, John 10. And they know his voice. Okay? So Jesus is basically saying, now you're my sheep. And what the shepherds do is they hand-rear their sheep. The sheep know their voice, the sheep love them, the sheep come to them, they put their hand through the, through the fleece to check for thorns and briars, etc., pouring oil when necessary. They love, their, they love their flock. So what Jesus is saying, are oh, you my sheep? Now what the shepherds used to do and still do today, I've checked, what they still do today is they take their sheep out of the pasture lands and they let them graze among the lost and the strays. And then his sheep familiarize themselves with the strays in the wild. And they graze together. They get to know each other. And then the shepherd calls his sheep and the lost and the strays and the wild sheep follow like sheep. And they come until eventually they begin, begin to discern the voice of the shepherd. And eventually he builds his flock up by pulling the sheep into himself and loving them. And this is what he's saying. I'm sending you out as my sheep among the lost sheep of Israel. So he sends them out. This is what he's doing to you every day of your life. You were walking out with Jesus. Now the important thing is, everything we do comes from a place of presence with him. So you notice in Matthew 9, they look at him, he's moved with compassion. Clearly, There is a manifestation of compassion. As Jesus looks at broken people, he is deeply touched by what he's seeing. It's evident, visibly. They're affected by that. Now, can you imagine living with Jesus for three and a half years? So you lie down at night in bed, and God is breathing in the bed next to you. You can hear God breathing in the bed next to you. You get up in the morning, you sit down to breakfast, and you look into God's face over the breakfast table, and you're talking to him, and he's looking at you with eyes that are so full of love, and you're enjoying that day in, day out, week in, week out. Then you walk out of the door with him, and you think, what is going to happen today? (laughs) I mean, yesterday the lepers were healed. Yesterday, the dead were raised. What's going to happen today? This is what life was like for them with Jesus. Who's he going to confront today? What religious leaders he's going to confront today? What's going to happen? This is exciting. Scary as well, but exciting. And then you lie down in the night. I can imagine Peter lying down in the night one night thinking, did he actually walk on water last night? More to the point, did I actually walk on water last night? Now, no wonder, they were absolutely devastated when he said, I'm going away, and I'm going to leave you. And they say, I mean, three and a half years of this, no wonder they were distraught. But he says to them, no, 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 it's better for you that I go away, because unless I go away, the Holy Spirit will not come, cannot come, and he will not only be with you, he will be in you. So as we enjoy presence, so we come from a place of presence and intimacy and walking with with the Holy Spirit, we need to realize when you lie down at night, the Holy Spirit lies down with you. You get up in the morning, you have breakfast with the Holy Spirit. You have breakfast with God. When you walk out of the door, God walks out of the door with you. When you walk into a room, God walks into the room with you. I remember somebody saying to me, Ian, when he walked in the room today, the family didn't want me there. It was for a funeral. The family didn't want me there. This lady said, Jackie Dennis, it was him, Merthyr. She said, "Yeah, when he walked in, it was like Jesus walked in. I didn't go, oh, shucks, Jackie. You know, don't, don't be so silly. Jackie, I'm relying on that. Because <laughs> if Jesus doesn't walk in with me, we're all in trouble. <laughs> so where you go, He goes. So then you minister to people out of the overflow of his compassion, because now his compassion's in you. Yes. But not only is it compassion in you, his power is in you as well. Amen. There was an occasion a number of years ago where a lady came into our nations. Wendy Parkinson was there, and I was talking to Wendy, and um, Wendy starts telling me, "But I, I'll change her name. She said, let's say his name was Janet. She says, um, and yeah, this is Janet, and she's going through some terrible things in her life right now. So Janet just starts speaking to me about everything that's going on into her life right now. So I said, Janet, would you just like me to pray peace over you right now? She said, yes, I'd love that. So me and Wendy, we prayed with her, and she went down on the floor, and she's lying on the floor. She's going, oh, oh. Wendy goes to me, she says, "Um, she's not a Christian. I said, what? She said, she only came in to borrow some plates. (laughs) Honestly, she said, she got a party, she came in to borrow some plates. I'm thinking if I'd known that, I would never have offered to pray for her. So she's on the floor, she gets up, she says, that's amazing. She came for the next two Sundays, she gave her life to Christ. A husband came along, he gave his life to Christ. Now, at the moment, I don't think, they're not, they're not attending anywhere, they're not, were they walking with God, I don't know, but I don't think they're attending anywhere, right? But I know, God touched that lady, touched her husband, they will never forget that. Now, that doesn't happen every time I pray, you hear me right there, you know, you hear stories because they're exceptional, <laughs> Right? But I'm telling you, when you pray for somebody, and there's it's not only presence ministry, but prayer ministry as well is massive. When you move with compassion for somebody and you're praying for them, and I pray for people, whether it's on the streets or whatever, and they may, the pain may leave their bodies. It may not, but every one of them is so grateful that I took time out, actually, to spend time to talk to them and pray for them. And that speaks volumes to them. Um, just very quickly, just to talk about um, Philip the Evangelist. Um, like I say, our character, who we are, is a sign and a wonder. Um, people are, are affected by who we are, not just by what we say. And the thing I love looking at uh, Philip the Evangelist is his character. He was one of the, one of the seven, uh, the deacons in Acts 6. So he served God, the apostles, and the widows. He was a father. In Acts 21, he served his family and was who he was, whatever he was, because uh, when Paul was going to stay there, Paul went to stay with him on his way back to Jerusalem, and he says that Philip stayed with Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven who had four daughters who prophesied. Um, there, were, he, there, was, there was authenticity in the home. Yeah. Um, now, we, kids don't expect us to be perfect, but they do expect us to be authentic. Yeah. We can't guarantee that they'll walk with Jesus all the time, but we can model that, um, and certainly helped them by our example. Um, He was used powerfully in Samaria when the whole city turned to Christ in Acts 8, um, and then accepted the help of the apostles to build where he had blessed. So again, you can see he's not a wolf. This is not a man who's building a reputation or an empire for himself. He receives the apostles who come in. And and Philip is the signs and wonders man, and the apostles come in and see people filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to build the church there. So he's a team player. And the other thing, as well, is he left a high profile of revival in Samaria to meet one man privately, the eunuch, on the road to Gaza. So for Philip, one person was just as important as a city. Um, And, you know, if people are waiting for the mega ministry, of the platform and they're not prepared to serve God, serve the people put out the bins, do whatever is needed to be done uh, and, and serve in every way they can and, uh, and also then recognize I'm part of a team here and I'm, I'm, I I am got everything, I need the apostles I need the teachers, I need the prophets in, um, it's extremely powerful then uh, and also, you know what, I will leave the crowd for the one because God watches you with the one and the reality is, right, the world is one, one person at a time. True. Yeah. That's the way Jesus does it. Okay? Very effective way. Okay, so basically I've outlined some ministry. I've, I've touched on presence ministry. I've, I've, I'm going to touch on practical ministry in a minute. But practical ministry, I, I'm so glad now that the church is getting its hands dirty When I got born again 40 years ago, it was like the evangelicals and the liberals, the evangelicals preached the gospels and the liberals were do-gooders. They did the good works and the evangelicals preached the gospels as if, you know, shouldn't be a do-gooder, be a do-badder if you're an evangelist or you're an evangelical. But I thank God now that the church is actually getting involved in society in such a way now we are becoming or we are actually salt and light. In the whole of community, much more than we ever were. And it's interesting practical ministry. Jesus fed the 5,000 because they were hungry. So he gave them, he met them at the point of felt need, and then he introduced himself as the bread of life the next day and then introduced them to their fundamental need, which was him. But their felt need led them to their fundamental need. It's the same thing then with the man born blind, the prayer ministry. He, he, he heals the man born blind, and he says, oh, and by the way, I'm the light of the world. Yeah, right. He met him at the point of felt need, and he said, I'm, I'm the light of the world. Yeah. So then the man gave his life to Christ, you know, the story in John 8. Um, and then there's a the preaching ministry on Pentecost, and then there's partnership ministry, um, which I'll be touching on some of those, like the woman at the well, I love that, um, Jesus partnered with a lady because Jesus was tired and thirsty. So he says, you know what, lady? I need your help. Yeah, that's right. I haven't got it all. I need your help. Yeah. Um, so then she provides him with a drink. He provides her with hope and significance and eternal life. She goes and the whole village comes to Jesus because of her because he decided to partner with her by sharing with her at his point of need. Mm. And increasingly, Certainly for us at All Nations, I don't know about you guys, but increasingly we are working with charities locally and agencies locally um, in order to bless the community, and then we are beginning to affect and bring the gospel into places we'd never have been welcomed before. Um, so basically, let me just go on to this last one here. And I think many of you will know this the Roman road. A lot of people call the book of Romans the gospel of Paul, where he systematically goes through the gospel. Um, And basically, what is, if somebody says, you know, well, explain to me the gospel, um, the Roman road is fantastic. Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 10.9. You're not going all over the Bible looking for, oh, where was that now? Where was, you just got it all in Romans there. So basically, it's as easy as A, B, C. Admit that we have all done wrong, including you. The first steps towards recovery is admitting that we've got a problem in the first place. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Believe. Believe that Jesus is God, that he died to take away the punishment that you deserved. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We deserve punishment. That's why sin of wages. The wages of sin, at the end of a working week, you get your wages. You've earned them. So the wages of sin is death. We've earned death. But the gift of God is eternal life. A gift you don't earn. A gift you receive by faith. And with gratitude. That's what sets us apart from everybody else. We're not out to earn it anymore. We realize it's a gift through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then confession. Confess that he is Lord, that he will be the Lord of my life from this moment on. For if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay? So, um, but most of the times, if I'm leading somebody to Christ, I don't use that. I'll use that if they want a bit of a debate and a chat first. But mostly, I will say... Do you want him? Because he's right here right now if you want him. Are you ready to stop living for yourself? Are you ready to turn your back on stuff you know is wrong and he'll show you is wrong? I've got to say, when Jill and I sat there and gave our lives to Christ, I was not under deep conviction of sin. I just knew I wanted Jesus in my life. I became aware of my sin over the next few weeks and months. As I got to know him, I realized what a sinner I was. But I also learned at the same time how righteous he is. And therefore, his righteousness has been given to me. So I was so filled with gratitude because I realized where he brought me from. But I didn't see it. I just invited him in. He showed me when he came in, really. So we all come. I always say that there are um, many ways to Jesus, but Jesus is the only way to the Father. So, People come to Jesus for various reasons. You just come as you are. And you just encourage people, pray, ask him in. When you ask him in, ask his forgiveness, ask him in. And then you just lead them very simply in a prayer. And they ask him in. The chances are, very often, they've already done it. But they are saying it with you, is confessing it. When they confess it, bam! Something happens in the spirit. Because confession brings the breakthrough. So ABC, um, and you may have your own way of doing that. So let me just give now um, 10 minutes. if anybody got any questions uh, regarding the work with, particularly with the Afghans, Iranians, etc, be glad to hear it really. Mike. Exactly, exactly. I don't I don't witness directly to unsaved Afghans and Iranians. They do that. Then they bring them. And when they come, then we love on them. That's why I started with loving people into relationship with Jesus. They come, they feel so loved. The amazing thing as well is a number of them were having psychotherapy. We've got documentation that since they started coming to the church, they've improved, 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 discharged. Wow. It's amazing, right? So we just say, you come. And uh, we love them when they come. But it's, it really is the analogy of the sheep going out. Because yeah. to be honest, with you, I wouldn't know where to start. Yeah. People used to say to me, so what do you know about Islam? I say, nothing. <laughs> I know more now. Four years ago, I knew nothing. But I say, but I do know Jesus. I don't need to know about all that stuff. I know Jesus. So, we had some German pastors come to us earlier this year um, because they'd heard what was happening, and obviously they're having an incredible influx of Afghans, Syrians, etc. So, they came to say, Look, you know, what are you doing here? Uh, and they said, uh, We've heard that when they come, we need to start talking to them about Moses. And the prophets, because they they recognize Moses as a prophet and they know the prophets in the Old Testament. And I said, we don't do that. We just tell them what the fathers love. Tell them about Jesus. And God, the Holy Spirit, does the work. I'm not interested in debating. I just want to say, there's a God that loves you. Now, see, I'm relaxed about it because I know it's the Holy Spirit. Lords of these have had dreams. They are believers now because God has turned up in dreams to them. A lot of these are Shia Muslims. The Shias are slaughtered by the Sunnis. The Sunnis are the literalists. The Sunnis are the ones with the suicide bombers and stuff. Some of them are Sunnis. So we had an Afghan conference and they were weeping as they were. the Sunnis were asking the Shias forgiveness and the Shias were asking the Sunnis forgiveness for the way their people have killed each other for generations. Last Sunday, the Sunnis went into a mosque and and killed 27 people in Kabul. Didn't even hit our news, really. Uh, But they slaughtered the Shias. The Shias are more reformed. They're more sort of tolerant. So these are Shias. um, And the Taliban are made up of the Pashtuns. And um, the, the guys that we get, some of them are Pashtuns, but the vast majority of them are Hazaras. They're the minority Shia group in Afghanistan, um, and they've been persecuted for generations. So they will be recruited by the Taliban and used as suicide bombers because they just scum. Then they come and they meet people, Christians. So they've said, when they're in Afghanistan, the Christians are giving them food when their government is letting them starve. Then they get out of Afghanistan, they travel across Europe, they go through France and different countries, And it's the Christians that are feeding them, housing them, by the time they get to the UK, they're already wide open because the Christians have loved them all the way on their journey. Now, I am a realist. I know we cannot open our borders to everybody. I understand that. I am not for open borders. I believe, and that's why I work with the home office, so I will not baptise anybody unless I'm convinced. I've been to court many times. I've said to the judge, When I have made decisions about these people baptizing them, sir, I have not had you in mind, I have had God in mind. So I've said I will not dishonor God and I will not weaken the church by baptizing spurious conversions. I do everything I can to ensure that I'm totally convinced of their conversion. And I honor the home office because they've got a very difficult job and they've got to try and vet who's genuine and who is not. Five of our guys have been in detention, ready to be flown out. And we've got every one of them out by the grace of God. But every one of them, when they were in there, knowing they could be put on a plane the following day, have stood for Jesus in that deportation center with the guys in there saying, when we get back to Afghanistan, you are dead meat. And they've stood for Christ. All five of them. Now, Mehdi was one of them. The little guy, um, and I just thought these guys are genuine they work with a chaplain giving out Bibles no when they could get deported any time but they say we've got to stand for Jesus right. and if it means we die we die um, so and that's why I love him um, I, I don't really have a great passion for Muslims I've got a passion for everybody people say Ian you know you got a passion for Muslims getting saved? Well, not particularly. I have, but i got a passion for everybody to get saved. <laughs> makes no difference to me. Um, but it's just God has done a, a, a sovereign work among these people, brought them our way. This is another question. I think. Yeah, um, may not directly be related to the work of the African community, but i just wondering what you know of with the hundreds of decisions that have been made in less than I heard of in recent weeks. At the turn in. Yeah, um, I don't know. The fruit will manifest itself. Um, like I have done, loads of what you would call sort of mass evangelism kind of things where you see hundreds of people making decisions, whether it's barbecue, evangelism or whatever it may be um, With a the turn in, they reckon that 24 percent actually join churches. And that's a pretty good. That is good. Um, so I don't know um, I say by all means but I didn't involve with the turning God told me not to get involved with this one and I had to explain to all the other city leaders why I wasn't involved. and I wasn't involved because I was giving myself to certain things and God said I wanted to concentrate on that not get distracted by that and if you do that they'll expect you to take the lead on it in, in some of the, the local churches and I want, I want to raise somebody else up and he has um, but yeah, I mean, to me, it's you not know, like when Paul was in prison and uh, like he just rejoiced the gospel was getting preached. Um, and I'm just really glad that the turning has happened. But to be honest, though, I don't get hugely excited anymore when I hear big numbers. I get excited when I see people coming into the churches and see people being transformed and changed. Um, and that's why I say that really speaking, um, like if I'm, and I, I don't go out on the streets anymore, the last three years God has told me to concentrate. I woke up one morning and as I'm waking up, the Lord said to me, pastor the people, transform the city. So pastor the people, transform the city. So I'm thinking how I can better pastor the people in the church And the Lord said to me. I didn't say pastor the church. I said, pastor the people, transform the city. And the Lord showed me that I am to be a pastor to the city. Um, And then with that came, actually it was five years ago it was, and with that came then working with, I learned BSL, sign language, because we got some deaf people in the church. So I learned BSL. A couple of the people in the church decided to have a drop-in. So deaf people started turning up to the drop-in, and that just grew. And now we got during the week we've got hundreds of deaf people that are coming to different social events and we've got a charity next door now that is actually providing services for the deaf and we've just been doing a partnership with the Anglican Church to do BSL Alpha because we've got 60 deaf people that turn up every Wednesday to a social club in our building and they want Bible studies and um, prayer meetings, they're not Christians yet. Um, so, it's, it really is this whole thing of whatever God says to you, do it. So actually, that was about seven years ago. Because then, the, the the main mover and shaker of it, when we started these drop-ins, they started having needs of letter translation. So it had to be done professionally. This lady came in, Karen, and she came to check us out. We brainwashing the deaf that are coming to our church. She got wonderfully converted. <laughs> Um, and she is, she is an entrepreneur and she is just doing amazing things among the deaf community. And we've got a deaf pastor and his wife in the church as well who we'll do an amazing job. Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We meet every Sunday at 10.30am in Stony Stanton and 4pm in Tamworth and Market Harborough. Feel free to come and visit us. We'd love to meet you.